0: Well good morning again and happy Easter. I'm so glad that we get to spend this time. You know it's it's almost like we wait all year to get together again like this and so we're glad that that we have a little bit of a family reunion here this morning. Everybody's scooting in nice and and tight next to each other and and this is what churches are meant to look like by the way. Churches should be overflowing and we should be you know having this sort of Uh, this sort of experience regularly as God works in us as as death is overthrown and as that salvation flows to us with it comes joy peace patience gentleness with it comes forgiveness with it comes wholeness and transformation that leads us to eternity this morning as we gather we you know we gather to tell that that familiar story You know that story of how how Jesus had spent time, he spent three years walking through the the towns and the villages around him. He walked the the dusty roads that led from, from house to house and from synagogue to synagogue. He was teaching, and he was teaching in a new way. He was delivering a new message about God's promise. Most of the people who were around them were were church people. They were were Hebrew men and women that had been raised to hear these stories about big names like Moses and and Jonah and Daniel and King David. They had heard these stories about these amazing pillars of faith. And and because of that, because of these stories that they had heard, they waited with anticipation. And so, so what they did is they followed the rules to the best of their ability. You see, that's how the people, before Jesus came, had a relationship with God. The way that they could relate to him, the mechanism that God gave them for sort of coming back and being in his presence was the law. And so what they did was they tried to be good boys and good girls. What they tried to do was was not steal and not take and not be mean and not do all of these things. And sometimes, like us, they screwed up. And when they messed up and, and when they didn't know what to do next, God gave him the next step of that. He said, I'm going to give you a tool, a tool to, to try and make that better. And so he gave them something called sacrifice. They could bring him, you know, so if they just said a bad word or they just, you know, told a, a little lie, well, they might just bring some grain for that. If they did something bigger like, you know, uh, uh, send against their mother or their father or dishonored somebody, if they, if they committed something really egregious like stealing or like, you know, murder, then they would have to do something bigger. They would have to bring a a lamb or a bull, and they would have to sacrifice that animal. And that was their mechanism to say, God, I recognize that what I did was wrong, and, and this is me standing before you saying, I know that, and I'm asking you to forgive me for it. That was the mechanism for them to get back to God. Well, here's the problem with that. It relies on us. It relies on us to then not mess up again. And so what happens is that mechanism that God gave the people through the law and through sacrifice, it was just temporary. It just lasted for a few minutes. It only lasts as long as you can keep your eyes focused on him. It lasts only as long as your heart is connected to him. But then we focus on us again, and we're in this cycle. And so it was a temporary time. It was a temporary mechanism for for the people to stay in contact to demonstrate their faith, their obedience, their gratitude, and their dependence upon God. And so he sent a new promise. He sent a new covenant. He sent Jesus. And so Jesus came and he said, "He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that nobody comes to the Father except through me. He said there's one way. And for us, that meant there was one chance. For us, for all the decisions that we make in life and for all of the areas where we make bad choices, for all of the sin that that we might do, big or little, those separate us from God and there's nothing that we can do to fix that ourselves. There was one small chance, there was one small way, and it was one big name. That one chance was Jesus. Jesus. And so the story goes that that as Jesus taught and as he, he was beginning to lead the people, crowds were coming. They were gathering around him by the hundreds, by the dozens, and then it grew to be the thousands as they gathered around him. They gathered to hear these most powerful words. They were looking at a man that they had never seen anything like before. They were hearing words like they had never heard before. They were hearing about God in such a way that they had never heard before. Now all of a sudden, instead of it being far off and instead of it being their mother or their father's or their grandfather's faith, now it was them personally now all of a sudden they were growing close to god because god was in their presence god was with them and because of that because of that they were encountering faith in a whole new way and a little faith went a long way but that was that was wrong as far as the religious leaders of the time were concerned he was threatening their power and so they hatched a plot to kill him and sure enough, a week earlier than where we stand today, a week earlier than this time, Jesus comes into the city to uh, just throngs of people, stirred, stirred to excitement because Jesus, the king, had come to the city. Fast forward just a few days, and, and Jesus, standing in the garden where he had been praying, knew what was coming. He knew that, that soon he would hear the clang of swords on, on the uh, soldiers' sides as they made their way from the city gate. They went down a little jagged road that had several switchbacks, and they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he and his disciples had been praying. There they arrested him, and they mocked him. They, they beat him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They led him up to the top of another hill called Golgotha. There on that place called Golgotha, which meant, it means the, the rock that looks like a skull, Jamie and I have been there, and indeed, as you as you look at that place, it has two eyes and a nose hole, and it's right into the side of the rock. Up on top of that, which was right by a main thoroughfare, there they hung Jesus on a cross. They put him in that place because they knew that many would see him. They they knew that many would see him and and the other criminals that were hanging there, and they wanted it to be a, a sign for all. So Jesus breathed his last then. And his disciples who had followed him, his disciples who had penned all of their life and all of their hope and everything about their families and their futures, they pinned everything on this guy because he said he could overcome. Now he was dead. And for them, they, they had lost their hope. Darkness fell, the disciples scattered, and they waited. They waited, not knowing what would happen next. Were, were those men going to come for them? What would happen next? And on the third day, Just as Jesus said, he rose. On the third day, that darkness was shattered. On the third day, Jesus was back. Let me read that story to you this morning. In Luke chapter 24, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they entered, and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It was then that they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, he did say that. There, as they stood looking at an empty tomb, it says when they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them uh, who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. Peter got up and he ran to the tomb bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Seeing with his own eyes that the tomb was open seeing with his own eyes that the tomb was empty he looked at this and he wondered to himself what happened. You see Mary and the the ladies had gone to the tomb that morning and they they found the tomb open they found it empty and they saw these men, these angels that, whose clothes gleamed like lightning and they said, he's not here, he has risen. As Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples made their way, they got back to the tomb and they looked in and the, the clothes and the cloths that Jesus had been buried in were there lying. But one of the interesting things it talked about was there was a piece of cloth that was placed over the face of Jesus for any person who was being buried indeed. And it said that cloth, that, that burial cloth that was meant for his face was folded nicely and it was placed just so at the head. They found it lying just there. You know, in the days before Jesus' death and before his burial, Jesus had been questioning their faith. Indeed, here over the last few weeks we've been talking about what it means to have small faith and how powerful small faith can be and, and even how powerful small gifts can be. This morning, we're going to talk about that small chance. We're going to talk about the small chance that God gave us for salvation, that small chance that he delivered to us in the name of Jesus. You see, as Jesus was walking around, his guys were encountering trouble. They had trouble of their own. They had left their jobs. They'd left their families. They're walking the roads. They don't have a place to sleep. They're relying on the help and the aid and the generosity of others. And so they go from town to town. There are people who are angry with them and people who are kicking them out. You know, there were people who were plotting and, 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 and trying to uh, go against them. But yet they went from town to town to town. They found themselves in a boat one night and the waves started to blow against it. And the waves are crashing over side to side. They thought the boat was going to drown. Jesus stands up, and in a whisper, he tells the winds and the waves to quiet down. He says, peace, and it stopped. And he said to him, he says, have you no faith? Don't you know who's in the boat with you? Don't you get that it's me? Still, later on, they were in a place, and and thousands had gathered to hear the words that Jesus was speaking. He was teaching them about all sorts of wonderful things, and their ears were perked so much so that these people were following him everywhere they went. They didn't care if they had a place to sleep. They didn't care if they had food, but the crowds followed. His disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, look, there are thousands of people out here. We have nothing to feed them. There's no place to go. It's gonna be dark soon. They said, send them away so that they can get something to eat. Send them away, maybe call them back, but send them so that they can have a place to sleep. And Jesus says, no, guys, go feed them. He said, feed them? Feed them with what? All we've got are a few fishes and a few loaves. And Jesus says, here, let me do it. Out of that lack of faith, Jesus multiplied that small gift. With that lack of faith, he multiplied it so he could show them his power. Still later, as, as Jesus was hanging on that cross, having experienced and seen all of these things, having witnessed and having heard Jesus' words that he would be handed over, that, that, that he would be raised from the dead on the third day, still as Peter looked into that empty tomb, He wondered what was going to happen next. He wondered what will happen to us and where has Jesus gone? Well, what we hear in this story and what we hear throughout the rest of the Bible, it doesn't matter if you're on the first page or if you're on the last, and all of the pages in between. This book tells one story about one man and about one hope, one chance for our salvation As you think about that one chance through one man in Romans chapter 5, it actually says, consequently, just as one trespass, one sin, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. You see, from the sin of, of one group, from one husband and wife, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, in the garden, they took a bite of that fruit, and because of that, it says that all of mankind, all the way from those two people to this full building this morning, sin flowed through that one act. The reason it kept flowing is because we kept sinning. The reason it kept flowing is because we kept making similar choices. We kept separating ourselves from God. But he gave us that mechanism of the law. He gave us that mechanism of, of salvation through things like uh, the gifts and the, and the sacrifices. But now Jesus was here to make that permanent. He was going to provide a permanent solution. And it says, just as as one sin from one person flowed to all of us, he says, one death, one life, one sacrifice of Jesus flowed to all of us just as well. And so, in life, you know, there are things, uh, there's probabilities. Uh, Some of you in high school or in college took a class called statistics. And in statistics, you look at probabilities. You say, how likely is it that something will happen? Well, in our life, there are some things that are very predictable. Here's what we know. We know that the reds are going to finish somewhere close to or under 500. That's just a known. The probability is very high. Here's some other things that are known. There is a very low probability, regardless of day of week, time of day, or time of year, that you'll go to McDonald's, that the ice cream machine will be working. Very low. Very low chance of that. These are the sort of things that, that we sort of look at and we start to make decisions based on those probabilities. We know that there's, there's a, a very low chance that, that we would be able to take care of this ourselves. When you look at life and when you look at all these things, what we know is that every person lives and we know that every person dies, 100% probability of that. For some, they hang their hope on what happens next on faith. Right? Because that's the question we ask ourselves, whether we're, whether we're an atheist or whether we're a believer. We say, what happens when we close our eyes for the last time? And what we want to believe and what we want to hope for and, and what we want to happen is that we'll close our eyes to this world and we'll open them to the next. And so we want the probability to be very high of that. But what can we do to fix what we've done? How do we get ourselves back in a right place with God? Folks, I'm here to tell you that as, as low as the probability of that ice cream machine working, it's even lower that you could do anything to fix this yourself. Zero chance. It says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and it says that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your way back. But there's a chance. In the movie Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd was talking to this girl and he said, you know, would you ever go out with me? And she said, not in a million, billion years. And he said, so you're telling me there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Well, there's a chance. There is a hope. There is just a a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel, not because of who you are and not because of who your grandmother is, not because of what you've said or done, not because of any of those things, not because of what you've prayed and not because of how often you've been at church or, or how often you haven't been, because of one thing and because of one man, because of Jesus dying on the cross that Easter We have a chance. And for as low as the odds are for everything else and for as low as the probabilities might be, here's what's a guarantee. God is a sure thing. God is a a 100% bet. You've got a tip here today. You've got an inside source. God is where you want to put your money. It's a sure thing and it's a sure bet with him. Here's what it says in, in Matthew chapter 19. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at him, and he said, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. They were talking about gift-giving. They were talking about, you know, life. They were talking about people who had done all of these things, and Jesus was saying, look, it's going to be more difficult for that guy to get into heaven than anybody else. And they looked at him, and they were amazed, and they were astonished. And they said, no, 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 this guy's giving so much, and he's doing all of these things. And if you look at him on the outside, he's like he's like the Christian's Christian. He's the one that the light beam should be uh, on. He's the one that if you were drawing his picture, you'd draw the halo on top of his head because he's an angel. And Jesus says, no, I tell you the truth. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter how shiny his halo is. It doesn't matter how, how pretty the gifts are that he gives in the collection plate. He said, I tell you the truth, it's going to be difficult for that guy. He said, because it's not about what's in his pocket, it's about what's in his heart. He says, but here's the beauty of it. For you, it's impossible. But for God, all things are possible. All things are possible, which includes the salvation of his children. You might think that you've gone too far. You might think that you've been gone away too long. You might think that you've outsmarted creation. You might think that that you've got all of these wise ways in your head. You might think that that God could never convince you. You might think that God could never save you. You might think that he could never bring you back that far. But you're wrong. You see, with us, it's impossible. With us, trying to do these things is not possible. It's impossible, 0% chance, but with God, 100%. You know, in that story where, where Peter makes his way to the tomb, he goes in and he finds this, this napkin, this cloth that had been covering the face. I married my high school sweetheart. She's wonderful. Jamie Chowning is a really special lady. She's talented at many things. And, and through the years, I, I learned how to make her laugh, and I can still make her laugh. It's one of the most uh, special parts of our marriage is that we still laugh together. I've also gotten pretty good at making her cry. Over the years, I've figured out just the right ways to poke and prod and, 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 and sort of twist words that would make her cry. I know how to make her feel special. I know how to make her feel wanted. One of the things that I didn't learn about her is that, is that for all of the things that she did and that she had shown me, after we got married, I found out that Jamie is a magician. It's, it's actually pretty spectacular, and it really only presents itself in one place when we go out to dinner when we go to dinner together you know we'll uh, we get there and they always have the the silverware rolled up real nice at your place setting sometimes it's a paper napkin and sometimes it's like a, a fabric napkin and I always get it out early you know and I get it set I put my silverware just so you're supposed to do that before they serve the food and you put it on your lap you know and so I do that and at some point during the meal through some series of black magic my napkin whew, disappears. It's gone. Where did it go? It, it leaps from my lap like it's Star Trek or something. It goes from my lap to Jamie's lap magically. And I'm like, where did, and it's still a surprise to me. Where did my napkin go? And then she does like, you know, does the magic hands. And it's like, whew, poof, there it is. And I'm like, how did you do it? She always finds a way to steal my napkin. Now here's another thing that, that if you get to know me very well, what you'll know is that for, is, for all of the things that I'm good at, one of the things that I'm not very good at is holding my bladder. And so during a meal, I'll have to go to the bathroom at least two or three times. And so I'll be sitting there drinking my free water because I'm too cheap to buy a lemonade or a Coke. And so what I have to do is I have to take my napkin and I have to put it on my, my plate or I'll put it next to my, uh, the chair. I'll hang it over the chair why do you think i hang it over my chair like that why do you think i hang it over the chair because i'll be back i'll be back in just a minute so i don't want to just wad it up and throw it on the floor or i don't want to you know throw it on the table or something like that a lot of times i'll still have food on my plate have you ever done done this number you've got to go to the bathroom but you're sort of in a rush because it's like hey if the server comes back don't let them take my plate there's still two bites of steak left on there and i don't want that to go anywhere we make arrangements. We, we make sure that the people who are taking care of things know that we'll be right back. Well, folks, the, it was no different 2,000 years ago. You know, when Jesus was alive and as he was walking around from place to place, you know, a napkin at a dinner was, was part of the sign you see, they had people who were pouring the wine. They had people who were bringing the bread and they were bringing the food and they would recline at the table and they would, they would tell stories and I'm sure they would laugh, big laughs, and, and it was a wonderful time. And if somebody had uh, their napkin and they wadded it up and they threw it you know, on the table or threw it on the floor, the people who were serving them knew that it was over. It was finished. You could clean up and you could go on. But if they found that napkin folded up neatly, As so, they knew that their master would be back. When Peter ducked down and he looked inside that tomb, when he saw those burial clothes that had been there and when he saw that, that piece, that napkin that had been on his face and he saw that it was folded up, it said two things to him. One, he's not here. But two, he's coming back. This was a sign to to Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples who had spent their lives following Jesus, the ones who were beginning to lose hope and, and said, there's no chance of us getting out of this thing now, what will we do? Jesus gave them a little glimmer of hope there. They saw that napkin folded up and they said, he'll be back. And sure enough, it was just a little time later, they, they saw that Jesus indeed had returned. He appeared to them in that upper room. He proved himself to them. They saw him again later at the shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. They were able to touch him. They were able to hug him. They were able to have a meal with him. Jesus proved not only that he was God, he proved that he was alive. He showed that on the cross, he conquered death. And when he sprang out of that tomb, he conquered all of sin and, and eternity for us. We win because Jesus won. We had one chance, and God was a sure bet. And so here's your chance. This is your chance. This is your day. This is your heart. This is your forever, because he's your God, and he's your Savior. And all we have to do is take a chance. We have to take one small chance to say, yes, Lord, I believe. In fact, it says that that's all we have to do. It says in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It goes on and finishes in in verse 13, and it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, with, with God, all things are possible. And it says that all people, Everyone, you, me, each of us who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is a sure thing. He's a 100% bet. And if if you'll believe in your heart and you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Easter goes from being one day a week to being every day of the week and every day from now until eternity. That's the beauty of this day. It's the beauty of this story, and it's the beauty of our Savior. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we gather here in your presence. We gather at the foot of the cross, and and we gather astonished and amazed that the stone was rolled away. Lord, Lord, this morning we declare that you are good, we declare that you you love us and Lord, we love you. Father, today, would you help us to see that with you, it's possible. Restoration of family is possible. Restoration of faith is possible. Salvation is possible. Lord, might we take a stand today. Might we cling to that, that place and to that cross. And, and Lord, might the blood that you shed wash over us And save us. Oh, that wonderful cross. That amazing grace. That indescribable love. Lord, bless us today. Bring our families together. Bless the meals and and bless the time. May the fellowship and the memories be great. And may you get the glory, God. May your son's name be raised and may all the pretty dresses and sandals and and suits and bow ties. Father, may you get the glory for those things today. We bring our best to you because you delivered your best to us. Lord, Jesus is enough. He's enough. And Father, I, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that he is Lord. And Father, we pray that through that faith and by your grace, you would continue to lead us to the cross because it leads back to you. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This whole story for the purpose of Jesus getting off the cross and getting out of the tomb, you know, we still have these signs and these relics that are reminders of what God has done for us. You know, in fact, the Hebrew people had gathered that time of year for the Passover meal. They were remembering what God had done, bringing them out of Israel, bringing them out of captivity, relieving them from those who were oppressing them. They have that festival to remind them. We take communion from time to time so that we can remember what God has done for us. And so we, as as Christians, we look on certain relics like a cross and, and a crown, we look on them, and we don't worship a cross. We don't worship a building. We don't worship a book. But we worship the God that these things are about. And so this morning, we're going to sing one more song together. This is your chance to respond, either in your heart and in the pew where you are, or even right here at this altar. As we sing this morning, I would ask that you please stand. We're going to sing a song called The, the Wondrous Cross. We're going to sing about that place where Jesus gave his life in exchange for yours.